You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios. Well, here's quite a toy. It's a Japanese one. It's a little rail. It's got a gyroscope. And around the gyroscope is a little horse with a jockey on top. Would you believe this little thing acts like a monorail and the thing charges around at high speed? I can't believe it can happen, but it does. Here we go. We've got to speed up the gyroscope. Place it on the rail. And wow, look at that. How the heck does it keep up right all the time without coming over? This is quite a race, isn't it? And as it slows down, I think he's getting a bit drunk now, the jockey. And the horse is getting drunk as well. And oh, that's it. We've got to the end. What a beautiful bit of engineering. Well done, Japan. Hello, and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. I'm Paul, I'm your co-host, and I'm not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I'm also not an animal expert. Today we are going to do something a little special. We're going to be horsing around and getting a little neighborly with our friend John Hare from the World Podcast. Welcome, John. Hi, Paul. Hi, Donna. John, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You guys didn't tell me there was going to be a studio audience. (laughs) They love you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, we love you too. And we love your podcast. It's called Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> yes, the Whoa podcast about horses and horsemanship. When I had to come up with a name, I wanted something where I could uh, get people to stop by and hang around for a little bit. So what else? Whoa to a horse means stop. It's a natural fit. That is great. Now, you have a really interesting story about when and how you got into horsemanship. And uh, could you let the people know uh, a little bit about your story, please? Yeah, I'll give you the short version because I can go uh, on and on about this. But uh, my wife and I have been married for 35 years plus. And she had a horse from the time we were married. And I really had nothing to do with it other than to uh, help haul hay in and help Paul manure out. That that was my <laughs> task. I never really interacted with the horse too much. I love animals. I've been around them all my life, and I'd been a veterinary assistant. And um, my wife's first horse, Vandy's Big Skull, was his name. He was a thoroughbred, and he dumped her off a couple of times. And I was really just pretty frustrated with seeing my wife get dumped like that. And I, I just thought all horses were like that. And um, we. 28 years into our marriage, Vandy passed away. My wife got another horse, and she says, I got this horse. He's very well trained. Things are going to be different. Dusty's a great horse. And the very first week, Dusty popped her off the horse. I popped her off, and she landed with a, with a thud. She had a light concussion, and she had a back problem. Oh, my. I'd been, yeah, it was pretty tough. I had been um, watching RFD TV at the time, and on the, that station they have a number of different horse trainers, 
and I'd been kind of revisiting the whole horsemanship thing. And I saw that I was making a big mistake in how I related to a horse. So when my wife was laid up, I told her, hey, I'll ride your horse for you while you're laid up. She kind of gave me this weird look, and she, she couldn't do anything, so she agreed to it. And I started working with her horse, Dusty. About the time she was getting ready to ride again, one of our neighbors who keeps their horse right behind our property, she came off her horse while mounting and broke her kneecap, and she was going to be out for eight weeks. And she says, hey, John, if you want to work with my horse, you can go ahead and do that for the next two months, which I did. I was finding that, that I really made some grounds in understanding how horses think and that for all those years, I had been doing it completely wrong. So after Susan got well and she her knee healed and my wife was riding again, I looked around and I said, I need a horse. And it's exactly what I did. I went and got a horse and the rest is history, so they say. <laughs> now, perhaps I missed this part of it, but were you just going by kind of like trial and error when you were trying to train these horses? Uh, you know, I, I'd always been interested in dogs and cats up until that point. I'd worked for veterinarians as a small animal practice. I had been trying to relate to horses much like I related to dogs and cats. And, and I had done a lot of training, obedience type stuff, you know, with your dog and training. And it just doesn't translate to a horse. A dog is a predator and a horse is a prey. Right. And they just... You just, they, they get handled differently. Right. So what would you say is the Woe Podcast all about, and when did it get started? The Woe Podcast started in 2012, um, mainly because I'm a nerd, and I wanted to see if <laughs> I could start a podcast, and if I did, what it would entail. Uh, and plus, um, I'm cheap. I, I wanted to learn more about horses, and I found that once you have a horse, everything costs. Trainers cost, uh, books cost, videotapes cost, and I said, if I can trade a little bit of publicity for a little horse knowledge, then uh, I would go ahead and do it. And plus, I, I had in this back of my mind of we had owned a horse for 30 plus years and didn't really understand all the stuff and as my wife and I started gaining more horsemanship knowledge one question just kept coming back over and over again if I only knew way back then what I know now so I said you know there's got to be a lot of people out there just like you and me and I'm going to try and spread out the, the stuff we learn to as many people as possible and that's really what the Woe Podcast is all about. We talk about the things that we've learned, and we talk to trainers. We we talk to different people uh, in different locations about what they do with their horses. Just recently, I talked uh, to a guest that was in Mongolia who gave Mongolian adventure rides. Doesn't that sound great, you guys? I, yeah, amazing. I heard that podcast. It was really cool. That. And and when he contacted me and he's like from Mongolia, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. I talked to a couple of Australians about camp drafting and uh, it took me forever to set up that podcast because I'm terrible with time zones and they're a whole day ahead and hours and I'm not a math wizard. <laughs> <laughs> but we talk about we talk and we just talk about trainers and we talk about what we do with our horses. So we're doing all kinds of different things with our horses now tomorrow. 
is going to be our second ever extreme cowboy race that we're going to go to. And I'm going to take my my uh, Oak Creek wild horse scratch to that. He's going to run for the second time in an extreme cowboy race. That is great. That's very, very cool. What I really like about the Woe podcast is you're just a really humble, nice guy, John, and you're just taking us along on your little nerd trip through the world of horses. And there's like this warmth, but there's also this enthusiasm that you have for horses that's just like it's contagious. And I don't think you necessarily have to own a horse to enjoy your podcast. And I just I love the heck out of it. And uh, even if you think that horses are just really cool animals, the Woe podcast is really a great podcast to listen to. And I hope the people that are listening will give it a try. Why don't you just real quick at the top of the podcast and tell us where you can find the Woe podcast at? You can find it just about everywhere. You can find it at woepodcast.com. I have all the episodes there along with links to our YouTube channel where you can see uh, we have over 100 videos where it's just basically... uh, some training stuff, Renee and I, my wife, having fun and doing stuff like that. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and just about anywhere you can find a podcast, we're there. That is fantastic. So just a reminder, everybody, go to BlazingCaribouStudios.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We are also on Twitter at at Podcast, all one word. And at varmanspodcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. If you like our show, head on over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a nice little rating and review. Now let's learn about horses! The kingdom of animals is fascinating! Now I'm going to tell you about their behavior and living pattern. So come on! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? We are blathering about horses today. Look, guys, you know what a horse is. You, you, you're you on the internet. You're downloading podcasts. I'm sitting here. This is normally the part of the show where I explain to people what an animal looks like. I think everybody knows what a horse looks like. And also, how do you describe what a horse looks like? It just looks like a horse. There's really no other animal like it. There's really only one or two species of domestic horse. And most of them are domesticated at this point. In fact, they're one of the the oldest domesticated animals in the world. But because of selective breeding, there are between, depending on what you read, there's between 300 and 400 different breeds of horse, all different size, shapes, colors, everything else. Now, there's a lot of different names that we give to horses, and you might not know that there are big differences in what we call them. So I'm going to give you a little quick rundown. Foals are horses of either sex up to one year old. For horses that are between one and four years old, the males are called colts and the females are called fillies. After four years old, a male horse is called a stallion if it hasn't been castrated or a gelding if it has. And a female older than four years old is called a mare. So I know that's when we start giving the same animal a bunch of different names, it can get kind of confusing. And and frankly, I was confused before I did the research. But yeah, that is uh, horses. So I'd like to actually ask our guest, what is a pony? Yeah, a pony is a smaller type horse, but it's it's almost, um, and I, I'll get these confused. I, you know what? This is going to generate some mail for you guys because people are telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about. But there are, <laughs> <laughs> there are miniature horses, which are horses that are bred to be smaller. They're, they've 
they're just kind of shrunk, for want of a better word. And then there are ponies, which, like the Shetland pony, is a is just that. It's um, it is a breed that is bred to be that size. And there's a difference between miniature horses and ponies. And I wish I had more that I could tell you about that. But um, I own a full-grown horse, and he's big, and that's the way I like him. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Did I did I weasel out of that okay? And <laughs> you when did is great. your show on weasels? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we haven't done a weasel show yet, but we, we uh-huh. probably will, I'm sure. All right, so what I'm going to talk about today is the fact that horses have horizontal pupils, like a goat. They have those little rectangular-looking weird pupils. And you may not know that because you haven't probably gotten close enough to a horse to see their eyeballs. But <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is a feature of an animal that is a prey species. Um, it is something that happens in goats and animals with cloven hoofs and stuff like that. But if, if they're a prey species, they're going to have that horizontal slit in their eye. And what it does is give them a little bit of panoramic vision kind of helps them see stuff that's trying to eat them so (laughs) that's really good if you look at the different shapes of the pupil in different species it'll tell you what they do whether they're a prey animal whether they're a predator and what sort of hunting they do if they're a predator like humans have round pupils and we are predators that our heads are high above the ground so our pupils are round we have to kind of see the whole landscape and try to spot what we're hunting. And big cats, like lions, have round pupils because they are, again, animals that are going to plan, look at the landscape, and track their prey and run them down. If you're sure. an ambush predator, like a, like a domestic cat or a hyena, you're going to have a vertical slit in your eye because you're going to be closer to the ground when you're hunting and you're going to need the kind of light. It's probably going to be in half light. So you're going to need the kind of people that can focus in more from the ground up and forward, right? So, Yeah, and it's several thousand years ago, the distribution of lions and the distribution of horses around the world, there was a lot more overlap. Yes, it's true. Yeah, there was a. There used to be a lot more things running around that love eating horses. It's useful if you are a prey animal to have panoramic vision and to have that horizontal slit because of the kind of things it does to the light. So, yeah, very cool. Yeah, and and I understand the way I understand that the top of that horse's eye is used for seeing distance, and the bottom horse is used. Uh, the bottom half of that eye is used for seeing things close up. So sometimes a a horse will drop his head to kind of get a better look at something that is in between those two distances to to check and see if it's safe to walk over. Yeah, that's really cool. The guy, I read an article about this on NPR and the scientist they were talking to said that he'd spent a lot of time handling horses and having them put their head down to eat and look around and so on. And he had just never noticed that when they pitch their head down, their eyes rotate to in the head to maintain their parallel, the parallelism with the ground. They keep yes. that keep that slit parallel with the ground when they're as their head dips down. And that's yes. pretty amazing. That is that so is. cool. Another thing that helps uh, animals like horses to get away from predators besides really good eyesight is sheer speed and endurance, which horses have in spades. Now, in a couple of days from when this podcast gets published, 
it's going to be Kentucky Derby Day. And there's a whole entire industry that's built around an adaptation that horses have that helps them to get away from predators. It's just what they do naturally. And a lot of that comes from their rear legs. Now, horses' legs kind of resemble pogo sticks. They're like big, big springs. And with very, very little effort, a horse can store a lot of energy in the muscles and tendons in their rear legs and then release all that energy very quickly upward and outward. The horse's spleen also is like a reserve gas tank of blood. There is about 12 liters of red blood cells that is contained in a horse's wow. spleen that it can just call upon when it needs it. Of course, you're going to need a very large heart to pump all that blood. Horses have a very large heart to do that. They also have um, an expanded respiratory system to oxygenate all that blood so a horse can just run and run and run and run and run and seem to never get tired. The other cool adaptation that a horse has is when it gets overheated, it has a special protein in its blood called latherin. And when a horse gets overheated, this latherin, it'll lather up, it'll foam up, and it'll separate the fur on the horse's body and it will allow sweat from the horse's body to evaporate and that cools the horse down even quicker. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's why horses get all lathered up. They get all lathered up. Yeah. Is that where that expression comes from? That's probably it. Latherin, though, wasn't that one of the houses in Harry Potter? <laughs> Could be. I'm in latherin. <laughs> and I can tell you from uh, having a horse that's gotten lathered up, that stuff is slippery. When that, when it's when you get put your hands on a horse that's all lathered up, it is. It's almost like soapy water, just, just slipping. And your saddle pad can actually slip when your when your horse is all sweaty like that too. Oh wow. That's probably a good thing to happen when you've got a protracted uh, battle between you and a persistent predator, too. Like, I'm fast, and when it get really hot, I'm also slippery, so good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Try catching me. <laughs> and so horses, they have evolved over 55 million years. They're one of the oldest species on the planet. Um, as you mentioned earlier, babies are called foals, and they're born, What's the term for the way they are born is called precocious, meaning that their eyes are open, and they can stand up within a few minutes to an hour after being born. And this really does a good job for their survival, because they can start moving right away, as opposed to having to be protected, and the chances of them getting eaten by something really goes up. Right. Their lateral vision, the the visions of their eyes, like Donna was talking about, is pretty amazing too because each eye, they're set wide on the forehead and each eye covers that side of the body. So in other words, the right eye covers the right side, the left eye covers the left side. And this is really important in training a horse. A lot of people don't know or realize that a horse almost has two brains because he has two eyes. So it might see something on the right, like a plastic bag flapping in the wind, and be really, really afraid of it. And you calm your horse down to that bag on the right side, but then and you're, you pass it on the trail going out. When you pass it on the trail going in, and it's now on the left side, the horse is going to say, oh my gosh, what is that? You're going to Silly, it's the same plastic bag we saw, but it looks different, and it's processed differently by the horse's brain. Wow. So each side is got its own brain, and 
That's why it's so hard to sneak up on a horse. The other reason is, like Paul said, they're really fast. This stat amazed me. A horse can go from zero to 35 miles an hour in just three strides. Wow. If they had, yeah, if they had rubber on their hooves, they'd be burning it. (laughs) All right. Hey, well, you know, it's disclaimer time. The Varmints podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence. But then we only really have the yardstick of ourselves to go by, so we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. John, you are the closest thing we have to an animal expert here. You work with horses, I think, probably every day. Is it safe to say that? Yes. So I'm going to defer to you. I mean, I think horses are pretty smart, but you're around them. What do you think? Before I learned how horses think, I would have only given them about a three. I remember one man told me that he thought horses ranked somewhere lower than a cow, but higher than a fly. And I believed that for a long time, just because I couldn't get him to do a darn thing I wanted. But once you learn what's important to a horse, they learn very quickly. Horses learn when you release pressure. So I'm going to give them a 10, mainly because, wow, who knows, they may listen to this. And I want to stay on their good side. <laughs> John, I think that is the first 10 we've ever awarded any animal. Well, I'm going to have to be argumentative, though. I'm not going to give him a 10. Go for it, I'm going to have to argue. Because 10s are is the very top of the scale. And if we're doing comparisons with people who can, you know, build rocket ships and recognize themselves in the mirror and create elaborate systems with which to waste their own time, you've got to <laughs> give that to humans. That's 10, right? So humans are not going to be a 10, but I would put them up there. Definitely. I think, first of all, I think they're amazing. I think horse and horse intelligence for what it is and for what it's for is amazing. And some of the things they can be trained to do are incredible, but I don't think they're smarter than a raven. And I think that's eight or nine is the score that I gave them. So I'm going to park horses slightly below the raven. I'll accept that. I'm not sure I've... I'm not sure I know what many ravens, but I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> it's just mostly about we try to talk about what, what animal behaviorists talk about when they're talking about animal intelligence, and that is how well they solve puzzles, how well they solve problems in their environment that are novel to them. Um, what do they do if they see a problem that they've never, ever experienced before? And I think that horses probably freak out and run away as their first solution to a thing they've never seen before, unless they're highly trained to resist that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not an expert, so I, you know, I should never be the authority on this, but I just have a (laughs) perception that they are somewhat less good at solving problems than other animals that we've talked about on our show but I still would call them amazing, and I don't want anybody to think that our rating of 10 at humans means that we think that humans are superior in any way, because that's, that's <laughs> not it. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to talk about pop culture, and we are going to talk about other... Are you going to give them a rating, Paul? No. Oh, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not playing the game. Okay, I'll give them a rating. I read a bunch of different things about horse intelligence. I definitely think that they are smart animals. One thing that I read, and John, perhaps you can verify this, is that horses are generally as smart as their owners. And if you have a dumb owner, you're going to get a dumb horse. Hmm. Is that... I would, have to, I would have to agree with that. 
Yeah. Okay. A lot of people treat horses as if they were big dogs, and there's nothing that will get you in trouble faster than treating a 1,200-pound animal like he's a pet. Okay. So I would say that your average horse has the potential on a scale of 1 to 10 to be an 8. Right. I think they're pretty smart animals. You know, and they're 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 just good at solving their own problems. But like Donna said, you know, you can't give them a problem that they don't really know and act, actually have them puzzle through it. Some horses are are good at that. Some horses aren't. If it, I'll give you one little quick tip, if anybody really wants to find out how smart a horse is, there's a book out that was written a long time ago, long time ago called The Beautiful Jim Key K E Y. And it was about a talking horse and a horse that could spell. And if anyone's interested in reading a book, that's a good book to read. Cool. Awesome. All right. We are going to talk about horses and pop culture and a couple other things. But first, we want to tell you about another podcast on the Blazing Caribou Network. Now, John and and Donna, do either one of you guys watch this Westworld thing on TV? No, I don't have HBO. You don't have HBO? Okay. Mm -hmm. It's it's about the, the West and it's about you know, artificial intelligence and computers. And I I don't know what it's about. There's like Amish people that know more about TV and movies than I do. But I got to think there's horses in it because it's the old West, right? Well, I'm going to check it out then. Well, I remember the movie from the seventies with Yul Brynner, but only barely, I can barely remember it. (laughs) Well, they talk about that movie and a bunch of others on a great new podcast called Brokebot Mountain from Blazing Caribou Studios. It started out as a fan cast for HBO's Westworld. Carrie, David, and Phil have grown the show into an exploration of pivotal sci-fi and Western movies, TV, and tech. Constantly on the lookout for connections to Law & Order, Seinfeld, and for some reason, yes, even Power Rangers. Brokebot Mountain is a fun trip through a maze of unique and funny perspectives on genre entertainment. You can find them directly at BlazingCaribouStudios.com or look for Brokebot Mountain on iTunes or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. That's Sounds actually like a really good show. I listened to it a couple of times when they were not talking about the show, when they were talking about other things other than the Westworld TV Westworld. show. Uh, I've listened to it, and it's worth. It's definitely worthwhile. It's fun. I want to check it out. And now for something completely different. Hey, you know, me and John and Donna, we're a bunch of nerds just like you, and we don't see animals up close and in person very often. Except for John, he sees horses every day. So let's talk a little bit about where me and Donna see them most of the time, on movies, TV, and video games. And when we decided that we were going to do a podcast about horses, this is the first place that my mind went to for pop culture, and I can't think of anything else to talk about other than... This, and here's the theme song. You're going to maybe recognize it if you're of a certain age. Sing along, everybody. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. And no one can talk to a horse, of course. That is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. A. Go right to the source and ask the horse. He'll give you the answer that you endorse. He's always on a steady course. Talk to Mr. A. People yakety-yak the streak and waste your time a day. But Mr. Ed will never speak unless he has something to say. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. And this one will talk to his voice, his horse. You never heard of a talking horse? Well, listen to this. I am Mr. 
Wilbur. Wilbur. Love that show. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Ed. I grew up with this show. It was already in syndication when I was a kid. It ran for six seasons from 1961 to 1966. Yep. The premise is pretty simple. An architect named Wilbur Post, who was played by the actor Alan Young, he owns a talking horse played by a Palomino whose real name was Bamboo Harvester. And the horse will only talk to Wilbur, and that's pretty much the running joke throughout the entire series. <laughs> um, by all accounts, Bamboo Harvester was treated really, really well on the set. And he was very fond of Alan Young. In fact, if the horse missed a cue or did something wrong and it got scolded by his trainer, it would often go to Alan Young for comfort. There was a false rumor that was spread that they put peanut butter in the horse's mouth to get it to move. But Alan Young, the actor that worked with him every day, said, and I quote, It was initially done by putting a piece of nylon thread in his mouth, but Ed actually learned to move his lips on cue when the trainer touched his hoof, and in fact, he soon learned to do it when I stopped talking during a scene. Ed was very smart. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. Part of my research was watching an episode of Mr. Ed, and I chose to watch the episode with Clint Eastwood, starring Clint Eastwood as himself. And that was, you know what? It's still funny. It's cute, and it's harmless, and it's probably not, you know, Westworld, but it holds up. It's good, you know? Yeah. It's funny. I I bet it does. And I just love the fact that we can tell people we're doing research watching TV. <laughs> doing research. Yep. Doing research for the podcast. So I didn't have to think about my pop culture thing at all. My favorite horse pop culture thing is by far Cavalia, the horse show. It's a horse Cirque du Soleil combination that's got this amazing stage set this huge tent it's like it's the biggest i think touring set in the world ever in the history of the world it's bigger than like a hockey arena you can fit a hockey arena inside of wow. it wow and it has to be that big because the horses have to have room to run at full gallop and they do amazing things with this show it was created in 2003 by Normand Latourelle under the name of Voltage, and it was his first, the first show was in Quebec. He used to work for Cirque du Soleil, and when he retired from them, he just decided he wanted to do something amazing with horses after seeing a horse performance, and decided to combine with acrobats and things like that. Well, horses and acrobats have gone together for thousands of years. It's This is nothing new, but he wanted to put it into a Cirque du Soleil type environment where you have the beautiful music and you know, all of the aerial acrobatics and plus some traditional stuff as far as horses and acrobatics are concerned, like Roman riding. Roman riding is where one person stands on two horses at the same time, standing up. And they just kind of guide them through and everything. And it, it sounds like, oh, that doesn't sound very exciting. But it is. It's amazing. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's really beautiful and they have wonderful costumes. They have in this show a bunch of they have a couple of really big draft horses that they do acrobatics on the back of. There's one that's called a Percheron. It's a big draft horse. And the acrobats just, he just walks around the ring. He just trots around the ring, basically. Doop, 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 doop. <laughs> and the acrobats are on top of his back, and they're bouncing and flipping and, and doing all this stuff just as if they were on the floor. And the horse is like, whatever. Doop, 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 doop. Because... 
he hardly noticed. This is a 2,000 pound horse and his standing on his back, his legs standing on a table. So all they have to do is account for the Sorry. slight movement and it's it probably looks harder than it is. I mean, acrobatics is hard anyway, but for the acrobat, it's pretty easy to learn considering all the other things that are going on. And I've just yeah. watched tons of interviews with the people that create the show and it's a uh, it's amazing if you ever have a chance to see it spend the money it's worth every penny i've seen cavalia twice and Odyssea oh, wow. once mm-hmm. yeah. i'd actually never even heard of it until you put it in the show notes and i i looked it up on youtube and just amazing just amazing it, i have to go experience a show being there in person will just blow your mind and last fall cavalia was having a show in orange county california which is about a three-hour drive, and they sent us an invitation, the Wool Podcast, to come down and do a preview of their show. So we, they had been, they had been in San Francisco for a couple of months. The uh, they broke the tent down there, which is huge, just like you said, Donna, and they brought it down to Orange County. They had to build this thirty-five-foot mountain with the scenery in the background that would fit under the tent. They had to put the side tents on so that when the horses went running through, they would be able to run through and then out from one tent to another tent. And they had a water pond in there that had like 20,000 gallons of water that the horses could splash through. This is truly amazing. Oh, and while they were moving everything, the horses, all the horses got sent down to beautiful San Diego to a pasture down there where they got to be got to do nothing but just be horses for about a month while they set up the new uh, location. Yeah, they treat their horses incredibly well. So They really do. Incredibly. They really do. I have a little clip of a stunt rider talking about her horse in the Cavalia show. Oh, great. I'm a stunt rider here at Cavalia, which envelopes two different things. It's Roman riding, which is standing on top of two horses, and trick riding, which is acrobatics on a really fast-moving horse uh, across the stage. So this is Henry, and he is actually my trick riding horse. I fell in love with him because I love paints. Also, um, Henry has red hair and blue eyes, just like me. So, of course, of course, it was a, a natural match. Um, I just really love his spirit. I love how he loves to work. He loves to run. He's very well-behaved. Um, he's very loyal. He's a very honest horse, so meaning he, um, he really does his job. He doesn't ever try to be sneaky about anything and um, really good heart runs his heart out every single night so the thing about cavalia that's interesting is that they use a training called liberty training for a lot of what they do liberty training is where the horse has no restraints on him he is only conducted by your body movements and sometimes they use a dressage whip but never to hurt the horse never the whip is never to be applied to the horse it, it's just something for the horse to look at it's a it's a signal indicator a signal. Okay. that's it and so you'll see some of the cavalia trainers using a dressage whip to point up into the air where they want them to rear up or to draw on the ground where they want them to go they can do that and then they also do it just with their body just with gesture there's one act where you have one person who's controlling six different horses at the same time just with liberty training just showing them what direction they want them to go and she can make them go in patterns and they run in circles and they turn around in one circle by themselves and spin around and on her cues and stuff and they're working with her to 
It's as if the blue angels were uh, being controlled by one person, the jet. Yeah. You know, they just they all go in patterns and they all go together and one to peel off and then she brings them all back. It's amazing. It wow. is incredibly amazing. And I'll tell you one short story before I shut up about this because I know you're going to edit the show. Um, but I can't say enough about this show. It, it was. Uh, I told Paul today that I might start crying when I talk about this because it oh. makes your heart swell so much when you see this show because they're so beautiful. Um, <laughs> it just moves you in a way that it's kind of hard to describe but the show is about the relationship between horses and humans and the love and trust and bond that can and does exist between those animals and ourselves and so it is very moving and um, you will find yourself moved to tears for no reason at all other than just the sheer beauty of the animal I was at my very first Cavalia show, and it was one of the Liberty show things, and the trainer was out there. Okay, so they were doing the big dressage show with a bunch of these white Lusitaner horses, the ones with the beautiful long white manes. And there was one stallion that just decided in the middle of their show that he just was more interested in this little boy that was in the audience. He just wanted to go play with this little boy. He had no interest in working for the rest of the day. He was just done. (laughs) And he went over to the railing and he sat down and he started nickering at this little boy and nodding his head at him and shaking his mane. And the little boy was just laughing his head off. And the trainer just looked at the audience and he just shrugged and he put his hands out. He says, this isn't part of the show. This isn't planned. He's just done. And when they're done, we just don't, you know... We don't force the issue. They're here because right. they want to be here and because of their relationship with us. They're doing what we want because they want to do it. And he clearly is more interested in your little boy, madam. <laughs> so he just doesn't want to He doesn't want to work anymore today and we're not going to make him. That's so truly amazing. Yeah, truly amazing. If you ever have the opportunity, spend the money. Worth every minute. Very cool. John, you picked out something for pop culture, and to introduce it, I'm going to play part of the trailer for this movie. Okay. You've got a long way to go yet, lad. He's not a lad, brother. He's a man. A man from Snowy River. Oh. 20th Century Fox proudly presents a magnificent epic adventure. A story of love. A story of a boy who becomes a man. The Man from Snowy River. That's just just such a fun movie. The uh, the there's a black stallion that they're all chasing, and uh, the man who become the boy who becomes a man is uh, kind of set aside and all these guys it's like a whole posse of riders is trying to chase these brumbies because they want to round them up and they want to get this stallion and and then they're going to break the horses and sell them and make a ton of money but they're they got to get the stallion because the stallion is leading the horses all over the place and uh the stallion goes over the the side of this mountain and all these riders come up to it and they go oh well no one's going down that we just all got to stop right here and 
the crowd kind of parts and here comes this young man just flying on his horse and just goes down this hill and I always thought that they tilted the camera you know but I learned later that nope this guy did it they did it in one take and they got him going down the side of this hill and it was just amazing of course he comes back a couple hours later he's rounded up the whole herd and and is the hero of the movie. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. I never that is saw great. Man from Snowy River. I'll have to see it now. Oh, it's great fun. If you love horses, that's a good movie. I like to eat. Oh, I like to eat too. All right, John, would you eat horse? No way, Paul. Uh, once you've <laughs> built a relationship with a horse, it's hard to use them as a food source. Although many cultures do, and it created a bit of an uproar in our country when we were sending some horses to other countries as a food source. It's said that the warriors of Genghis Khan loved drinking fermented mare's milk. Mm. And, and that doesn't sound good. I think they still do that in Mongolia. I, they do, yes. Yeah. I, it's called kumis, and it's much like kefir, only it has a little higher alcohol content. Hmm. I would try that. Um, I would try the fermented mare's milk. I, I would have to be facing an imminent starvation to try to eat a horse. So. <laughs> yep. Guys, am I a monster because I want to try horse? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> well, thanks for being honest. <laughs> See, the hard part is what kind of horse would you take? You know, would it be a young horse? Would it be if, if you want to add an older horse, the, the meat's going to be tough. You wouldn't want that. Well, so. I wouldn't want to eat somebody's pet horse, but, you know, like a wild horse? Yeah, maybe? there aren't any wild horses in the world anymore. There, there's got to be some wild horses somewhere. No. No, no, there aren't. no. All the horses that are running wild are domestic horses that went feral. They don't belong in rare environments. They're all in- invasive species, except for one horse that's in Mongolia, which is Przewalski's horse. And there's not enough of them for you to eat. They're endangered. So. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. As far as I know, there are no wild horses left in the world. As far as I know, and I was just reading about this the other day, so I th- I'm going to be fairly. Confident, but not completely confident. So there, there are, the, and the problem comes from, uh, and it's a whole issue for another show. But the problem comes from the uh, the American Mustang is uh, is some people consider that a wild horse. I am more like Donna and consider it a feral horse. But there are fifty five thousand of them in captivity, or something like that. Maybe thirty thousand. But there's a ton of them that are in captivity captivity that are doing nothing but eating and staying in a stall and some people feel that that is inhumane and that there there is a need for food in this world and that that might be a good food source it's a debate that's far bigger than this show and and i don't know if i have a a cogent opinion on the whole matter myself sure i i will say though that when i was watching mr ed today i was thinking about it going uh, I don't know if I could eat a horse now. <laughs> but then I saw I'm pictures of prepared egg. horse meat, and it looked pretty good. So I, I would try it. I got to admit, I would try it. Monster. <laughs> <laughs> Your food box is too full. <laughs> All right. Hey, Donna and John, is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Yeah. Well, let's help people win that next trivia night or just sound smarter than the rest of the room with the Animal Fact of the Week. 
Uh, hold your horses. There's a bunch of horse idioms and expressions in the English language that we use every single day, and we probably don't even realize it. We're often advised that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. And if that horse happened to be a gift, don't look it in the mouth. <laughs> Kids can horse around at home, and when they've worked up an appetite, they'll probably raid the refrigerator and eat like a horse. Shakespeare actually invented the phrase, a horse of a different color. <laughs> Someone or something not expected to succeed is often called a dark horse. Mm -hmm. And maybe the town you live in is small and you call it a worn horse town and you're chomping at the bit to get out of there. Chomping at the bit is also a horse reference. Uh -huh. I'll get off my high horse in a minute because I'm getting a Charlie horse sitting here. <laughs> okay, that's it. At this point, I'm just beating a dead horse. <laughs> yes, you are. Horse feathers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's another one. <laughs> what do you got, Donna? So I got just a brief rundown on for all you nerds out there that play D&D &D and stuff like that, like I did and do and all that kind of stuff. If you're really into fantasy junk, you've probably encountered the idea that the big horses that medieval knights used to ride into battle were draft horses, and that is not correct. My favorite are draft horses. They're, I love them. They're just wonderful, and I love hanging out with them. Um, but they are not the same horses that carried around medieval knights, so this is just a misunderstanding. Those guys were carried into battle by horses called destriers, and it's a type of horse, not a breed, right? They're more close in size to modern-day Andalusians. The draft horse has some lines in common with medieval battle horses uh, if within like the Percheron that we talked about earlier, but even those connections are pretty precarious and only hardly there. Modern draft horses are also much bigger than medieval draft horses because breeding began to go to breed them up during the 1800s because they had to pull bigger and heavier loads. Um, as farm equipment became heavier and before industrialization. So that's why draft horses now are so incredibly enormous. A medieval draft horse to our eyes would probably look pretty small, and all horses would probably look pretty small back then. One of the things that we have to remember about horses during that time is that after the fall of the Roman Empire, all of the really strict breeding of horses sort of went by the wayside, so your really great breeders of horses like the Romans and stuff would have lost all of their whatever they had for breed books would have just disappeared and for most of the Middle Ages people just bred to what sort of horse they wanted rather than a particular line of horses so a knight when he went on the road to go fight would often have a few horses with him he would have a palfrey to ride maybe a draft horse to pull a cart he might have a mule to carry some packs and he might if he was very wealthy, have a destrier to be trained as a war horse that he would ride into battle. So you have to remember that these horses have to be fast and, you know, really flexible, but they also have to be small enough that the knight can stab at stuff <laughs> that's within <laughs> chopping reach, right? It can't be so tall oh. that he can't reach the people he's trying to kill. So, yeah. So the medieval destrier. There's a, the war horse could take up a podcast all of its own. So that's not a topic we can really talk about here, but just so you know, no, knights did not ride draft horses into battle. If they, There may have been one or two instances where it happened because that was the only thing that was available, but I bet you I was not able to find a single documented instance, so there you go. 
fantastic. Cool. We could easily do a whole nother podcast about horses because we have just scratched the surface today, and we are going to do that. We were talking uh, earlier in the week that we are probably going to have a horses part two, uh, and we'll cover more of this stuff at another time. And John, we would love to have you join us again if we decide to do that. You guys are a lot of fun. I'd love to do that. Oh, it was wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't you give one more quick plug for your website and your podcast? Before anybody wants to find the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship, you can go to our website, woepodcast.com, W-H-O-A-P-O-D-C-A-S-T.com. And of course, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, plus anywhere else podcasts are found. Fantastic. And before we leave today, we have the Rugrat Corner. Ira, Liv, and Ava have something to say about horses. Hi, my name is Ira. And my name is Liv. And my name is Ava. We're going to be talking about horses, huh? You ride on them. Horses eat hay, apples, and carrots. You can have one as a pet, and you can ride on them. You know horses' teeth? They kind of look like when you go to the dentist, those, like, chatter teeth or whatever. and Dentures! But they're super yellow. I agree with you, Liv. <laughs> You know what? Sometimes I used to love My Little Ponies. My Little Ponies, skinny and bony. Awesome! <laughs> Let's just stop talking about My Little Ponies right now. Okay. Horses? They're so cute and you can, they live on for, farms. But when I saw their poop one time, I'm just like, eh. Horses make some like this. Yay! Or, no. Or, no. And they have babies. Okay, just stop. But they're giant babies. They're called ponies. They're babies. Okay, bye. Okay, okay. bye. <laughs> I love those kids. I really love I Ava. I do too. She's me. She's little Thanks, me kids. to me. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, kids, and thank you to their father, Tyler, who runs the Minds of Madness podcast. For uh, We thank him for recording them. That was a lot of fun. It's no fair. They, they could almost have their own podcast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> We're hit upstage by these cute little kids all the time. What are we doing to ourselves? <laughs> thanks so much again for listening. The podcast has been brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo and music, as always, by Kevin McLeod. And until next time... Oh, be nice to animals. And... Go have some fun with your horses. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios. This is how it goes on our show. We just, you know... <laughs> We're an amateur production, but, you know, I bet on the inside of the studio of This American Life that Ira Glass sometimes goes, I have to pee. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs>